Football is back and right now Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day and with Bet365 Bet Builder you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personal bets. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Lives feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and texts. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your overworked yet buzzing Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. How much fun is your work at the moment, sir? Oh, my God. Oh, yes. <laughs> work, in inverted commas. You say work. Yeah, it's not work, is it? <laughs> it's not remotely, you lucky man. Well, Wolves fans have to just enjoy these incredibly heady times because there haven't been too many um, times like this over the past 40 years or so. Certainly not in the top flight, that is for sure. Three wins, three clean sheets, nine points inside seven days. That sounds pretty spectacular, right? And the intriguing thing is they appear to have quite a lot more in the tank as well. Mm, Although that's not what Dean Smith thinks. He thought they were fatigued, but we'll come on to that in just a moment. We'll have Dave Edwards joining us on the Molyneux View very shortly for his insight as to why Wolves appear to be such a well-oiled machine. And he'll also give us his insight into the players he trained and played with at Wolves, who are still at the club, and Nuno as well, who spent a summer under. But first, Tim, since our last podcast, which we used to reflect on the win at West Ham, you have since been to Molyneux for the Bournemouth game. You've written an article about it. But what was it like being back, but without the fans? Do you know, I felt a bit guilty, actually. I'd like been there and the fans not being allowed in. It was a very like, privileged position to be in. And unusual, obviously, with no fans, no noise during the game. Although Wolves, Wolves did their best to kind of keep things normal. I mean, it was very, like, you know at Molyneux how loud they play the music in like the half an hour before kickoff. Yeah, it was it was as loud as ever. In fact, I think when the players actually came out to warm up, it was silence. And I think the players requested, you know, we need some noise in here. We need need a bit need the music on to make it feel as normal as possible. So that was that was quickly done. And um, did they definitely request it? Yes, I believe so. And then the stadium announcer wow. was as, was blaring down the microphone, you know, announcing the teams and all that stuff. So they tried to keep this as normal normal as possible. It was very well done in terms of health and safety and strict regulations for media coming in and we all had our temperatures checked and had done a questionnaire about about how we're feeling, symptoms, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, and then the game started and it was it was just normal old wolves really, you know, everything changes but some things stay the same and they looked hard to beat and they won the game and Traore and Jimenez combined. So it was it was very much as you were, really. Um, and yeah, there was a few little nuances, like whenever they had a drinks break, they, they played music quite loudly. When Traore departed, when he was substituted in the second half, um, they piped in crowd chants of people singing his name and, and things like that. So lots of like nice little touches. But yeah, obviously the stadium layout itself was very different. Bournemouth got changed in the um, Sir Jack Haywood suite. Eddie Howe had his own office up there as well, one of the suites up there. Um, the refs were on the first floor. 
Wolves were in the home dressing room and the players' lounge. So all the subs got changed in the players' lounge, so the squad were kind of kept separate as well. So it was all very, very well managed. Um, no problems at all. And um, another Wolves win, as of course it was on Saturday as well. It was particularly good watching on TV and, and hearing uh, we'll keep the red flag flying high and uh, and all the, all chants about the reds. So I was like, hang on a minute, it's supposed to be Molyneux. Somebody had played in the wrong tape, I think. It's an external company that does it all, but maybe they're a bit short of, of Wolves at home. And even watching Wolves away, not hearing about yeah, Nuno had a dream, it's just weird, isn't it? But but hey, we've got football back, and frankly, all Wolves fans really care about is the fact that their team have just picked up three wins out of three. But having said that, when it came to the closing stages, I think it was five minutes of added time, was it, at Villa? And there's only one goal in it, so you, you're constantly thinking, this is not one, this is not one. And yet your eyes watching the game, you're thinking they're actually not offering anything. And this is a team that's supposed to be scrapping for their lives, as are West Ham, as are Bournemouth. And apart from a, a fairly spirited, robust first-half display from Bournemouth, weirdly, there hasn't been a great deal that the opposition have offered. And this is what I want to ask Dave Edwards, is how much of that is down to Wolves closing them out in all areas of the field? And how much is it down to the fact that the opposition has been poor and maybe hasn't done what Wolves have done over the break? I've done a bit of number crunching and we know or people may have seen that you know since Willie Bolly returned at the start of February they've they've basically kept a clean sheet in every match but one which was Spurs and there's eight games since Bolly returned now in the Premier League they've kept seven clean sheets they've conceded two goals at Spurs that's the best defensive record in any of the top five leagues in Europe they conceded two goals in eight games no team can match that Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool, nobody. It's phenomenal, really. And um, they're exceptionally hard to beat. And this style has been honed over over three years. They know it like the back of their hand. They defend from the front. They defend with all 11, 11 players. But in terms of shape, there's always seven of them in defensive positions. Your back three, your wing backs, your two central midfielders. They're all, they're all protecting the keeper. And then you've got the front three defending from the front as well. They're just extremely hard to play through. And um, like I said, they've got this sort of more of a patient style now against the weaker teams. It'd be interesting to see how they approach the Arsenal game on um, on Saturday. But every single player knows his task inside out. They're very settled. They're not picking up any injuries. They look fitter than any other team to me. They've only made five subs before the 85th minute in those three games. You know, we've seen teams making five subs in one go. But they look incredibly fit. They're getting stronger as the game goes on. They're not forcing the issue in the first half. They're, they're playing their way into games and then using Traore predominantly in the second half to instigate some fireworks. And he's, he's been involved in all four goals that they've scored so far. So they've got it down to a tee. I, I, don't, know how you, I don't know how you beat them when they're like that. I really Very don't. Very settled squad as well. We mentioned last week, nobody's out of contract. No one's agitating for a move. All pulling in the same direction. And Matt Wilder, head of administration, told us on the podcast what feels like ages ago at the start of lockdown, told us about him being on Zoom calls all day, but told us about uh, some of the care, the... Um, I don't like the word holistic, but, you know, the the care for the players is not purely about fitness, making sure they're OK and they're all on the same page and they're all still feeling part of a team and uh, whatever they've done so far, it is really bearing fruit. We'll talk more about the way they're playing at the moment in a moment when Dave Edwards comes on. But some other latest news, Tim. Wolves hopeful of hosting the Olympiacos return leg in the Europa League at Molyneux? Yeah, so this is all to do with quarantine issues and whether a country is safe to play in obviously how many infections and, and daily rates etc which is why UEFA 
didn't make a blanket announcement when they announced the return of the Europa League as to where the rest of the last 16 second legs were going to be played. But it's all pointing to it being at Molyneux. Reading a few stories, they're going to announce um, one of these air bridges between England and UK and Greece. So there shouldn't be any quarantine issues for Olympiacos coming over here. And from what I gather, you know, UEFA are going to do all they can to make those second legs played in the host countries rather than in Germany, which is where we're going to get this um, end of tournament, mini tournament. So yeah, Wolves, Wolves are hopeful and we gather it's likely that it's going to be at Molyneux, which will be on either the 5th or 6th of August. OK, and the prospect of fans being allowed back into grounds, any hope at all uh, before the end of, say, the Europa League or, or is it a case of being extremely hopeful it's even September? Well, we're seeing other, we've seen movement in other countries on this. So France are going to reopen stadiums on 11th of July, I think it is, for up to 5,000 fans. I mean, their their top two seasons were cancelled, but the um, the French Cup and League Cup are still going, I think. So so they may be played in front of fans. La Liga's put together a, a draft document for possibly returning fans to stadiums in September. Um, again, it'll be reduced capacity, but I think we'll see plans form in this country now for that. And it'd be, I'll be interested to see if fans can go to the Europa League final tournament in Germany. You know, UEFA haven't ruled that out yet. So that's the way it's going. Some countries are already doing this. Some, uh, I think Hungary, they've had fans there, uh, maybe a couple of Scandinavian countries. So it'll obviously have to be very well managed and proper ID for fans and maybe fans arriving at staggered times or things like that but um, Wolves managed the 300 people in the stadium on, on last Wednesday very well um, it would be a massive logistical operation to get a few thousand fans in Molyneux but other countries are showing that, that it can be done and I think it's moving that way so it won't be this season uh, in the Premier League certainly not but, um, but I think September is looking a little bit more likely now, as a listener of this podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash view right now. That's harrys.com forward slash view. Let's now bring in Dave Edwards, who spent nine and a half years at Molyneux, twice winning promotion with Wolves before moving on to Reading and is now with Shrewsbury. Hi, Dave. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming on the Molyneux View. What are your thoughts on Wolves and why they've done so well since the restart? Well, my, my thoughts are just how impressive they've been. Uh, it's like they haven't had this break. They've just carried on from where they've left off from the sort of last two, three years that Nuno's been in charge. Um that nothing seems to to get in their way and then the work that they have obviously put in in the lockdown period and the measures they've gone to looks like it's far exceeded what any other club's done um, and that just shows the um, the work that goes into it from behind the scenes from all the coaching staff um, Nuno and even above him that they want to get everyone um, the best possibility to, to be in the best possible shape as possible um, best shape as possible all possible so. um, but no, it's it's it is really impressive what they've done, um, and I think it only looks like they're only get stronger. And this European place at the moment, it, Wolves are the team who were in the best form. I think to go and get it. They played three relegation threatened sides since the restart, beaten all of them, not conceded. We were just pondering how much of that is down to Wolves and the way they defend from the front and the way they defend as a unit and their tactics and the fact they're known to come on strong in the last half hour and how much is it down to the fact that the opposition didn't 
really offer too much themselves, despite the fact they should be scrapping for their lives? It is a bit of both, but I do think it's mainly um, from Wolves and the way they play. They they offer so little to the opposition going forward in the way they defend. They, they're very comfortable getting into that sort of 5-3-2 or 5-4-1 formation where they sit behind the ball and they don't feel the need to go and press. They just feel strong as that unit. It's almost like a comfort blanket to them. Um, and they know that they're going to protect Rupertrito's goal at, at all costs and they do that. But what they have on top of that is that ability to to counter quickly so teams are always worried about throwing too many people forward because they know it's so hard to break through that wolf system and when they do try that that special pass and it does get cut out then wolves can hurt you on that break um it's the perfect combination for premier league football the way wolves play at the moment and i think that makes other teams maybe not want to commit as much going forward but then also not being able to find a way to break through. What do you make of the um, the sort of discrepancy between first half and second half? I mean, they're, they're, I think they've only led five times at the break all all season from thirty two games, um, and then they come on so strong in in, in the second half. I mean, it, at first, I guess as the season started, you were thinking it was a bit of a fluke and anomaly, but it's it's clearly not, is it? It's designed by Nuno perhaps to start the game, get a foot in the game, nullify the opposition, and then. And then the fireworks come in the second half. Is, is, is that how you see it? Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. And I think a lot more does go into it. Um, they start the game really slowly. Uh, more, I think, trying to work out what the opposition are doing. They don't want to go too gung-ho too early and get caught. So they figure out the, the way the other team are playing. Um, they try and control possession as much as they can. But the reason I think they come on so strongly is because when Wolves do finally get into the game, like you look at the Villa game, maybe about half an hour in, they really started to get their foot on the ball and control possession. And when they do that, they switch the ball side to side so much, whether it's through Matino and Nevers in the middle, whether it's through Cody at the back, they do switch the ball an awful lot. And I've been unfortunate enough to be on the wrong end of that when I was at Reading. And it's such tiring work, especially for the midfield players, to be working your way across that pitch all the time. And they move it so quickly and they just wait for that moment when there's a gap. And usually that comes later in the game when the opposition is starting to tire a little bit. And it's just like, it reminds me of the old German teams are sort of in the early 2000s. It's almost military, the way Wolves play. Um, they've got their positions, they know it down to a T, and everyone does their job perfectly. Um, and that is just wearing down the opposition. Mentally, Wolves are so strong. And I can imagine opposition players at halftime, if they're not winning that game against Wolves, they think, oh no, here we go. And then they obviously have all that pace and athleticism to come off the bench, whether it is... Traore sometimes or Neto has been absolutely superb and they've got more players as well with Podence and Gibbs White and and things so they've got so much firepower to come on and, and to inject that energy in but I think it's more of a case of just wearing down that team slowly um, and then that's when the opportunities come. Were you as surprised as a lot of Wolves fans were when Dean Smith said afterwards we more than matched them? What do you think he meant by that? Or was that sort of manager speak for... <laughs> <laughs> we're in a lot of bother and the fans are up in arms I think that's managers speak for trying to divert attention away from what a bad situation they're in at the moment um, I, I, I can only see where he's coming from from maybe the first 20-25 minutes where Villa are probably the team who are on top dominating possession but they never really threatened Wolves' goal I can't remember him having, I think Grealish had a shot from outside the box um, apart from that I can't remember anything of any real note. And I think that 
it might have been stood there on the side thinking we're controlling the ball, but then you look, Wolves had the better chances in that first half an hour. I think Jimenez had a header, didn't he? Doherty had a, a shot which sliced wide. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> Dean Smith's got it all wrong there. He's, he's trying to protect his players and protect himself from the criticism which is going to come their way. And he was talking both before and after the game about four games in 11 days, not happy about that and blah, blah, blah. And it was Wolves' 51st of the season compared to 40 of Villa. And, and Wolves have played three games inside seven days uh, when you look at the times of the kickoffs. And you've got Connor Cody saying afterwards... I wish we actually had a game midweek. Uh, does that tell you more about the mindset and the mentality of the two sides and the directions in which they're heading? Yeah, definitely. So it's always when you when you're winning football games, you always want the next game to come around quickly. It does give you that extra energy, but there's a lot more that goes into it. I think, firstly, like Tim's already touched on earlier, that the um, the way Wolves prepare, the the fitness stuff they do, the work they do before training, after training, off season when they're home, everything is tailored around um, the player. So if you imagine Connor Cody is in the middle of this circle and he's got a fitness coach helping him, he's got a medical team helping, he's got the manager, he's got first team coach, he's got media guys, everyone is designed to look after that player and there should be nothing, no excuses from the player to why they're not at their absolute best. And I think all the players are bought into that. So physically, they'll be in a better shape than what Aston Villa are. And then I also think the way Wolves control games, I think they conserve energy at times. Going into the last 10 or 15 minutes of that game when they were 1-0 up, they never looked like conceding at all. And Wolves could really push on and go and get a second or third, but they just controlled the game, saw it out and conserve energy. So they do feel fresh when the next game comes around. Dave, this is this is a tough question, so apologies in advance. But, um, <laughs> I guess next season is going to come around really quickly, obviously, with, with especially if Wolves go deep in the Europa League. You know, there's a very, very quick turnaround before the season starts in September. And lots of fans are asking about recruitment and who's going to come in next I know that a lot of the players they brought in, like Neves, Jota, Dendonka, etc., Traore, have been bought young with 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 a focus on improving them in the next few years, which we've seen. But in terms of recruitment this summer, how do you improve on on this team? I mean, there are no glaring obvious weaknesses for me. But in terms of breaking into that top four on a consistent basis, which is what they want to do, you know, they are going to want to recruit. How on earth do they go about doing that? Just trust Nuno. <laughs> I think that, that's all you can do. I think. I, they, they won't recruit a lot of players. Um, that's not the way they do it, I don't think. And they can they can show this season that they can handle playing with a small squad. So it's not going to be lots of players coming in. But I think what he will try and do is bring in players who can really break into that starting eleven. Um, and as you've seen with players like Trey Orr, and I'm sure Podence will be the same, that they're never going to get straight into the team unless they obviously know exactly how they're going to play and they fit into that. It does take time for them to work out exactly how Nuno wants to play, um, what your job is in that team, not just offensively, but defensively as well. Um, so someone coming in and making a big difference straight away, I think that's unlikely. I can't imagine them going out and getting a real star name. Um, I think the culture of the football club is is more of a team one and that might upset the, the balance of that. Um, but I think they'll have to go out if they do buy someone and just get some really good, I would, wouldn't say young, I would say sort of mid-20s um, who've got a bit of international experience and in playing in Europe um, and someone who can make a difference to that team. But I don't think there's any in particular pos- positions which look weak. He may be another striker to, to compete a bit more with, with Raul Jimenez, but they know really they're going to be coming in and playing second fiddle. So... It's a difficult one to to bring in and not try and to upset the group as it is. 
is is more goals going to be the key? Do you think to to really taking it to that next level? I mean, the defensive record is is as good. Well, it's as good as anybody in Europe at the moment. But in terms of breaking through to that next level, um, I guess well, replacing Jimenez as well is going to be a key one in the long run, isn't it? Is is that is that going to be the key area of the pitch to look at? Yeah, I think everybody always wants goals, and the one thing which teams will start to do is work out how to how to do well against Wolves. They'll watch lots of their games and they'll see weaknesses which no one can really find at the moment. But once somebody does work out a way to hurt Wolves, um, they've got to be prepared for that. And I think the only way to counter that is by scoring more goals, like you said. Um, but I'm sure Nuno will have a plan A, plan B up his sleeves when this does happen. Um, I know he doesn't like to change the formations too often, but he does change the way that the team attacks um, and through which areas of the pitch they attack. He always looks for different weaknesses in the team. It's never just, this is how we play. It's more, right, this is how we can hurt the team, so this is what we're going to do. Like you heard Connor Cody saying the other day, he had a way of, they had a game plan come to this in the exact way they wanted to play, and they'll do that for every single game. Um, I don't really don't think they need to do a lot to, to take to the next level. Um, I think it's just more experience, more believing they belong to that level. I reckon it's probably the, the biggest thing. Understanding that they are a top six team. Um, and that's not just the players as well. That's the, the whole club, the fans, the, the boards, all the staff. Um, I think once you realise you are at that elite level, um, I think there's some extra percentages gains to be had there. Tim, what's your understanding of the summer transfer policy? I don't see it changing. The, the recruitment's worked so well for them. You know, they, they've bought players aged 20 to 25 in a 10 to 20 million pound bracket, almost exclusively, you know, except for Jimenez. But again, you can't argue with the money they spent on Jimenez because he's probably worth more than that already. So I don't, I don't see that changing. I, I, th- I think they'll look to... Um... Newborn baby will be worth more than that. Right? <laughs> That's a great shout, Jackie. Um, I think, I think, it's not even born yet. I think they'll look to strengthen the defence a, 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 a little bit. But in terms of numbers, Dave's absolutely spot on. This is, this, is what, this is what Nuno wants. It's a small squad. He likes a harmonious group um, who know that they're going to be playing week after week or involved in the match day squad week after week. So... Um, and I, I think, like I said, improvement from the current players. I, I, I don't think Ruben Neves is at his peak yet. I don't think Diego Jota's at his peak yet. We've seen Traore make huge strides this season, quite literally. Um, so I guess they'll, they'll... And then you look at the next group coming through, we said earlier, Neto, Vinagra, Gibbs White. You know, the, these guys are going to get better and better. Just on the Jimenez front, Tim, um, do we... Um, have you been to any of uh, Jimenez's partners' antenatal... Meetings or anything? Any sessions? Any idea when this baby's likely to come and whether it, whether there is a sort of scheduled situation they might like to do on a you know midweek when wolves haven't got a gig. I don't, or anything I don't like that. I don't have a ju- I'm not nervous about the situation. <laughs> I don't have a due date for you, but it's it's some point in July. It is it is a concern, right? I mean, um, if he ends up missing a game, I don't know who they play up front. We haven't had to worry about that for two years. He's played pretty much every game, so. Um, <laughs> Let's just hope it's born immediately after a game rather than immediately before. That would be very helpful, if that's OK. <laughs> um, just get your thoughts on Arsenal up next. They have a midweek game and um, unfortunately we don't have a crystal ball on us. But thoughts on the Wolves team for Arsenal and sort of the way they may be able to hurt each other. I, I w- wouldn't be surprised if um, Nuno went back to the four three um, the three four three and bringing Traore back in, um, as well as... Then Donka played, he could even leave out maybe Matinho or I wouldn't say leave out Ruben Neves, but I do see Traore coming back in in, in some, even if he does come back in maybe for Jota and he, he plays off Jimenez. Um, 
because I think he'll be trying to get him back involved. But I see, it seems mad to be saying this, but I just see Wolves far too strong for Arsenal at the moment. I think the Arsenal set up at the moment, I know they won the other day in the FA Cup, but it looks so unsettled. The amount of injuries they've had, the amount of criticism that comes off their fans. Um, Mikel Arteta's got a real building job to do there. Um, I just think, as we've said before about how harmonious the Wolves group is, I just think they'll be far too organised for Arsenal. They'll be content with sitting in their shape and making Arsenal try and break them down. And then you see the way Arsenal defend. I think Wolves will absolutely kill them on the counter-attack. I doubt your answer will actually make the podcast on the basis that our producer is an Arsenal fan. You can almost hear him in the background squeaking and wailing. It's which is an interesting combination of sounds. But what, what about Arsenal? Because they... They've had issues behind the scenes, haven't they? Players taking pay cuts, but not all of them. And that's caused sort of uproar. I mean, and Tim, maybe you have a bit more insight on this as to the fact that they're just nowhere near as stable behind the scenes at Arsenal compared to Wolves. No, absolutely, absolutely not. They're, 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 they're the complete opposite. And I think they've already already got one eye on next season, you know, apart, apart from the FA Cup, which um, to be fair, they got a good result. Sheffield United at the weekend, but they... Um, they're almost aspiring to what Wolves are, which is which is again which is crazy to say. And um, you know, you look at the work that Nuno's done, and he was linked with Arsenal, the Arsenal job late last year. Why they don't go for someone like Nuno and make him the sort of number one priority, I, I, I don't know. But it's it's to Wolves' benefit that that's the case, and that other clubs perhaps aren't looking at him as strongly as that as they should do. Because I think you know he's one of the best managers in Europe at the moment, and has got one of the best backroom teams around. You know, the, the, what they offer in terms of sports science and psychology and tactical level of details it's phenomenal and they've, they've got what Arsenal haven't it was only something to do with the fact that Nuno wasn't uh, such a great communicator around the world to their global fan base and thinking of commercial situation etc but you ask any Arsenal fan uh, whether they'd be taking Nuno and all his backroom staff and I think we know the answer uh, in terms of team um, Dave <laughs> I mean if you're really really nitpicking as some fans sort of maybe looking at the Wolves team go well maybe Jota hasn't hit the ground running as well as maybe some of the other players have, and could his place be under threat from the likes of Pedro Neto? Or is it a case of he does a more of a workhorse type of job that Nuno can rely on him to do, and then you bring on the pace later on? Yeah, I do. I don't think uh, Diogo has been at his, his best in, since the lockdown, but saying that is the job he does for the team and the amount of miles he covers in a game, the intensity is, is not just off the ball way press, but also when he gets Wolves from 30 yards inside their own half to winning a throw-in sort of 30 yards inside the opposition's half, the amount of times he does that. And the most I've probably seen that is when I actually went to the the FA Cup semi-final. Um, I know we don't like to talk about it against Watford, but he, he he was the one when we was under pressure that he would he would drag the team up the pitch by himself with the ball. Um, he'd win a foul or he'd get something, but he would just relieve the team of that pressure. And, and when he came off in that, in the in the semi-final, Wolves just didn't weren't able to get out like they were when he was on the pitch, and he does that all the time. And I know everyone expects him to be scoring goals, making assists, but he does such a good job for the team. Um, but saying that, your Pedro Neto, every time he's come on, he has looked brilliant. He'll be desperate for a game. Um, Nuno has a way where players don't get frustrated, or at least to to us that looking on, they don't seem to get frustrated with not playing games. So he's managing really well, but he's definitely ready to come and make a start. And Traore's waiting for a start. And Jota is the one person, if one of those do come in, that you would see him to come in and replace. Because if it is to be a change of formation and then Donker comes out, he'll be feel very harshly done by what was probably his best performance in a Wolf shirt at the weekend. Um, 
nice selection headache for Nuno to have. But um, again, if I was if I was shot and I was dropped, I would feel a little bit aggrieved that we won three games and his his hard work would go unnoticed. I thought it was interesting that that Traore came on. I, w- w- when he came on on Saturday, I think most of us were expecting Dendonka to maybe maybe leave uh, the field as he had done against West Ham. But it, but Traore was up front in a, in a two. How, how do you think he, d- he did, Dave? Traore? Yeah, um, it was slightly different. Think, he n- normally comes on as yeah. part of a three, doesn't he? I didn't think he was effective. He did look a little bit lost at times, but then he played such a big part in the goal. Um, it was him because he occupies players. And that's when you've got someone like Traore, and he must be... A midfielder's dream and also that's where the goal come from that Courtney House and Tyrone Minks both got attracted to Traore because they knew he could hurt them and by the time he's laid the ball off then Dendonka is is free with Johnny against against the left back and um, that's what he does he moves defences around but he's definitely more influential when he gets on that right flank um, but it's a testament again that Dendonka said on the pitch to how well he had done I don't think it was the way that um, is it Jota who came off the way he performed I think Dendonk was doing such a good job on Grealish and you know with Villa if you stop Grealish you stop Villa um, and I don't think he gave him a kick all the games so I don't think he could have brought Leander off at that point um, but Traore for me definitely looks better on that right and I don't think he looks as strong through the middle and like you said if, if Jimenez does get injured or does miss a game I'm not sure Traore is the one who needs to go who will go and play a number nine and that's the one area where Wolves might think to try and play someone else um, but there's no obvious player to go and do that role. Dave before we finish we'd love to get your thoughts on your brief time under Nuno at Wolves in the summer of 2017 that magical summer when I don't know what Nuno did on the training grounds of Europe when uh, when he came in and put Conor Cody at centre-half etc and and the seeds were sown then but you spent a brief time there both with him with the likes of Ruben Neves I mean what were your initial impressions of of Nuno and Neves? Um, when Nuno first came in, um, he was he was a very nice guy. You wouldn't. I mean, when you look at him now, you see this real authoritative figure. And I think the way he came in, he was very much wanting to listen to people, what had happened before, um, trying to get his ideas across. The one thing you did understand was that we were going to have a way of playing, and we were going to work on it every single day, every single session. He was going to stand in the middle, and he was going to direct it. And if you didn't want to play that way then you'd find it hard to get into his team. But then also with the fitness staff he brought in, I remember at the time, the first couple of weeks, a few of the lads saying, this is it's too tough, the stuff we're doing, our legs are so sore going into the next session. We were playing friendly games and we were terrible in the games, but we were so leggy going into them. We, A few of us, well, most of us are thinking, this doesn't feel right, but he just kept reiterating all the time that take these games as a training session. It doesn't matter about the results. It doesn't matter about the performance. You need to learn the system. You need to understand the system. You need to do it in fatigue. Um, and that's what we were doing. And it took right up to the Leicester game, the last pre-season game. The start of that week said, right, pre-season's finished now. We're doing it properly. We're going to treat this like a proper game. And we had a normal build-up into into that Leicester game. And I think we went on 1-4, 1-4-2. Played really well. And then the season started the week after. And it never looked back. And... He is relentless in his, his tactical analysis. Um, there's no way a player in that team will play unless he knows that job inside out. Um, and that's why I said before about people taking time to, to come in and cement their place in the team. Um, and then going on to Ruben, it was such a big deal when we signed him because of who he was, the fee we paid. Um, it was a real turning point in what was happening at Wolves, I think, that signature. Um, 
And I remember he first came back to Austria and at the time he was maybe a little bit shy, a little bit nervous and feeling his way into training. You'd say nothing out of the ordinary. You weren't looking at thinking, why this boy is unbelievable. He was just sort of playing his way in, I think. But I remember when we got back to Compton, he had a couple of training sessions where he just wowed everyone. I remember he went into a tackle in midfield, um, playing this shape game, full-size pitch, and the ball flew up about 10 foot in the air and he just ran onto it, half volley, just as it hit the ground and sprayed it about 60 yards, no higher than maybe three foot off the ground, straight to Matt Doherty. And everyone just kind of looked around and started a little clap. And then I remember at the end of that session, he went into a five-a-side and he lobbed John Ruddy from about four yards out. And not like a dink over him, he actually lobbed him. And I was like, how on earth has he done that? And I think that's the moment when everyone thought, wow, Wolves are so lucky to to have a player of this quality and then it was just hoping then that he could produce that on a on a match day and he, he certainly has done that and he's just improved every every week since then as well I think and the other players who are still there from your time the likes of Matt Doherty and Connor Cody what do you make of the way they've kicked on under Nuno it's just really the right place the right time and I think everyone knew how good Matt Doherty was um if you played him in the right system and this system was absolutely perfect for him to have that freedom to get forward and probably one of the most intelligent wing-backs there is in terms of the runs he makes, sort of, especially when Traore plays and he can make that run inside and allow Traore to have that space. Very intelligent footballer and he's got an end product as well, so he's just thrived in it. And Connor was obviously the biggest surprise in terms of his positional change, but as soon as he put him in the middle of that back three, you could see that he's not going there as a centre-half. At the time, it was kind of him and Danny Bath who were maybe competing for that central role and completely different players and you understood them by him playing Connor that he wanted that to, that position to be more of a playmaker and and that's that's what Connor's done and then what I think has been amazing is then he's obviously Connor's realised why wow, this is a position where I could really hold down and every single session when I was there in pre-season he was working on his passing working on that 30-40 yard diagonally hits and you look at it now I don't think there's a better passer in the Premier League hitting those sort of passes and Connor Cody, whether it's to the right wing or the left wing. Um, so he's he's found a gap in the market, if you like, and he's made sure he's taken it. And then with that position on the pitch, all his leadership skills have just come flying to the forefront. And he is a leader. And the one thing I wasn't looking forward to by watching these games with no fans was listening to Connor <laughs> Cody for 90 minutes because that's all you hear. I bet you rec- you recognise that, Tim, in the stands. You, yeah, absolutely. He, just, yeah. He, he does it in training and when you're on the pitch room, you hear him whether he was, when I was playing, whether he was in centre midfield with me or whether he's at right back. He is he is a natural leader. Um, and when he stood there and you can see the whole of the football pitch in the middle of that back three, he just pulls people around. Even the ball's the other end of the end of the pitch you can hear him pulling in Romain Saiz or Willie Bolly or making sure Ruben Nevers is in the right position and all these things go to um, how well Wolves defend and he's, he's just come into that role perfectly he's a real leader and I think he is the the best job that Nuno's done at the football club is what he's done to Connor Cody and I think the fans really appreciate what, what Codes brings to that team Just finally from me Dave another player you played with at that time Morgan Gibbs-White he's He's sort of stalled a little bit in terms of his impact on games in the past kind of year, 18 months. But Nuno, you know, persists and perseveres with him and, and clearly is, and clearly really rates him. I just wondered what insight you could give us as, as to why that is in terms of the potential he's got from what you saw when you played with him. Yeah, well, he's, he's got bags of potential. He's a super talented player. Um, I remember he first trained with us when um, he was in year 11 in school. Um, I remember I was alongside him in midfield one game. I remember Rob Edwards saying to me, I'd say have a look at this guy he's really good try and talk him through the game we're just playing a little practice game 
but he didn't need talking through. He was the one going to get on the board trying to make things happen. And this was at 15, 16 years old. So you can see what a talent he was from a young age and how highly Wolves thought of him. Um, and I expect him to have that big breakthrough. Probably Wolves' success has been at his downfall in a way because if they were in the championship, he'd have played a lot more football. And if they were maybe struggling a little bit more, then he would come and play. But how settled Nuno's team is, it's hard for him to break in. And I think for him, he is knee, he is going to have to go and seek football elsewhere, I think, in terms of a loan next year because he needs to play football matches at his stage now. Um, it's great to be around players like Ruben Neves and Jaime Martino for a learning perspective and getting better, but he really needs some first-team football now. Um, I can't see Wolves being able to guarantee him next season 15, 20 starts. So I think it's best for Wolves and best for him that he can hopefully go and find a loan club, whether it's a top championship team or or something like that. Would it have to be a club that plays football in the way that Wolves do, equivalent in terms of perhaps the style of play rather than obviously the standard? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think most teams in the Championship probably play possession-based football now. There's obviously only a few exceptions who are maybe a bit more long ball, but I don't think it necessarily has to be the same system, but I think he has to go to a team which which plays football in the more of a European way. Um, that'll benefit him because so he's on the ball a lot and he can make things happen. Um, I still think his best position probably is a more of an attacking midfielder as a number 10 or, or something like that with his ability to see passes and the runs he makes as well. If he can get his finishing a little bit better, then he'll score a lot of goals from that position. Um, so I, I think a good passing football team in the Championship would, would really suit him. So if he can go and get 25, 30 games next year for his development, that'll, that'll do him the world of good. And just finally from you, Dave... What about your, your greatest memory at Molyneux? Because you had those two promotions. You had some brilliant, brilliant times there. Was it maybe the Anfield game in the FA Cup when you were captain and just the 9,000 Wolves fans singing your name and you kind of went on to win the game as well? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think in my later years at Wolves, I, I enjoyed them the most. I, you know, such a young squad. I was sort of one of the older ones, even from the age of 27, 28. I was one of the older players. Um then it kind of led me into a position of being more of a, a leader, um, not so much a, a vocal leader in terms of shouting and balling, but trying to lead by example in, in the way I way I train, the way I played and things like that. And probably going into that Liverpool game and being captain for that, I think that was sort of the real pinnacle of my Wolves career. And I played in bigger games, in Premier League games, but just for where I was at and being able to to wear a captain's armband and as you said there's not many times I've been lucky to see it twice because we weren't there at Shrewsbury but 9,000 away fans at Liverpool um, that was amazing and I always remember standing in the tunnel and I heard um, the song which Ruben has rudely taken off me um, I heard the Wolves fans <laughs> I heard the Wolves fans singing, singing that from the tunnel um, and it's whilst they were trying to sing You'll Never Walk Alone or start that off and that was, that was an amazing feeling it really was and I keep saying as I got older I, I learned to appreciate the, those moments a lot more and take it all in and that's a, a real special day for me that was Dave Edwards thank you so much for joining us on the Molyneux View thank you and thanks for having me loved it hello I'm James Richardson host of the Totally Football Show now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally 
totally ad-free on The Athletic. Time for some tweets. Mark Phillips asks, should commentators start talking as much about Triori's skill as his pace and power? He's doing all that stuff with the ball completely under control, but it doesn't seem to get a mention. Oh, does get a mention, doesn't it? It does on this podcast right now, Jackie. Right now. He's, he's like, <laughs> he's ridiculously skillful. The, the way... The way he runs so... F- uh, he's got this down to a tee. He gets his man to a standing stop, almost. And he powers past him to the byline. But then, at full speed at this point, the way he clips it right into the six-yard box for Jimenez, it's such an art, it's such a skill. He is extremely skillful. Th- did you see that one against Bournemouth where he's sort of got his back towards... He's, he's facing Patricio with a ball and then he sort of spins his way out of two challenges and then makes it all the way to the opposition box almost. And then there's that video doing the rounds on Twitter where someone shouts, foul him. And like, that's all mm. I think is... Um... Yeah, it's on the Wolves official Twitter feed, isn't it? Yeah, I've yeah, watched yeah. that so many yeah, times. Unbelievable. But, but what he does, if he did that quite slowly, it would be really, really hard. You'd be going, wow, what, what skill. But at pace, to shift the ball away from so many players and make it look so easy. Yeah, completely agree. His, his technique is ridiculous. To do what he does at that speed is is unbelievable. Not not many not many players in the league can do that. And the fact that he's learnt it over the last couple of seasons. Because yeah. I mentioned before, and I saw his first ever game on the this soil for Villa away at Crystal Palace, and it was just pace, just phenomenal pace. But then there was all the cries of no end product for a couple of seasons. And look at the lad now. So he deserves huge credit, doesn't he? Porchy Wolves asks, "Is Johnny world class?" Rhetorical question, but debate anyway. Good shout about Johnny. He's phenomenal at the moment. I've done a, I've done an article on Johnny and Dendonka, uh, which was out yesterday, Monday. About I, I don't think either of them was particularly exceptional at Villa necessarily. D- Dave, Dave Edwards said um, Dendonka had his best game in a Wolf shirt. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I thought I thought he was very good. Um, but this is what him and Johnny do week after week. It's it's seven out of ten. It's not sexy stuff. It's not goals or assists. Um, I think combined between them. In, um, in fact, I've got the stat here. In 90 games they've played between them this season, they've produced six goals and three assists. So that's not what they do, despite the fact they did on, on Saturday. It was nice to kind of give them a bit of limelight, really, as to what they do. And looking at their stats, Johnny um, is the fourth best tackler in the whole league with 51 successful tackles. For interceptions, I think he's 13th in the whole league. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And Dendonka as well... Um, Looking at some of his numbers, his pass accuracy is at 90% in all competitions. That's higher than Neves and Martinho. Um, he averages almost six interceptions a game. Again, that's more than Neves and Martinho. His running stats are ridiculous. Uh, I haven't got any for the weekend, but um, he's run more than any Premier League player in a single game this entire season, which was against Brighton just before lockdown. He did 13.2k in 90 minutes in a terrible nil-nil draw. I don't know what he was running or chasing. It was a terrible game. <laughs> but um, <laughs> he was, looking for, he was, Seagulls, he was looking for something to do. But um, So his, that's why he's in the team. It, it goes unnoticed, really. But these guys, they're so consistent. They're, they're the glue that, that binds this team together. You know, you need them to do the dirty work. And they do it week after week. But it was nice that they were involved in the winner on Saturday because, you know, they, they, they deserve acclaim and, and recognition for what they do. It is nice they're getting the plaudits because week after week, certainly nationally, the talks about Jimenez yeah. and Triori just because they're so easy on the eye and the way they play and the, you know, the combination of the two of 
of them and, and everyone knows about Jota and Neves and Moutinho. And, uh, but there are players such as Dendonka who doesn't really get much of a look in and yet is integral to the way they play. Johnny too. And then there's Rui Patricio. <laughs> Poor old Rui Patricio. I'm worried he might leave for some game time. He's not getting any action, is he, at Wolves at the moment? <laughs> something to do. Just, just a, a final point on Dendonka. He's actually... You're right, you don't necessarily... If you, if you were to pick your first Wolves eleven in a 3-4-3, he probably wouldn't be in it. Um, but he started 40 of their 51 games this season, which shows you how integral he is. And we had Kevin Thelwell on a few weeks ago, waxing lyrical about how good he is. And Nuno obviously agrees. I, th- I think he's, as with a lot of these players, he's, he's pretty underrated. It was a bit of a mystery when he first arrived. He was on the bench forever. Never got a sniff for ages, did he? But he was patient, his attitude. That's the thing. That's the thing. And David was made, made a good point about that earlier, about Traore, and, and he had to bide his time. And that's that's pedence, isn't it, really, in a nutshell? You know, he's, he's, he's got to bide his time. His time will come. Finally, our last tweeter, Ibiza Wolves. If Wolves make the Champions League, are you and at Jackie Oatley up for recording a pod from Ibiza? You know, you could just pop over before, after a game at Camp Now or the New Camp. First round is on me. Well, there's only one answer to that. Definitely. Oh, we'll take that. Is it, is it going to host us as well? Is it? Can we do, do the pod from like Ibiza it. Wolves' house? Oh, that'd be fun, I think there's a lot more fun to be had with this podcast by us. I'm, I'm, I'm planning where we're going next season. New Camp, Bernabeu, San Siro. <laughs> Come on, you've got a dream, Jackie. You've got a dream. I don't think we could dream to be where this club is at the moment. It is an extraordinary ride. Three wins inside seven days and Arsenal to come after a full week of training, something Connor Cody alluded to that they're looking forward to actually having a chance to train. They've got these points without a great deal of that. Well, thank you, Tim, as ever. And to Dave Edwards, our superstar this week. That is it for the Molyneux View. Don't forget to subscribe at theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod to make sure you can read all these brilliant articles that Tim is What's they churning out? But there's a little bit more craft and guile to it than that. But he's producing some fabulous content, which I've been lapping up. Uh, sign up now for a 30-day free trial. Just visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. We'll be back with you as usual on your regular podcast platform next Tuesday morning. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.